Back in college, I was helping my dad build houses, and in between my college semesters, trying to make as much money as I could. One particular summer, we had caught ourselves in this, this framing dilemma. Normally, my dad had a lot of our houses and the foundations in place in the spring so we could frame all summer. It was unusually wet that spring in Mississippi, and so we had fallen behind. And so here we were in July, just starting to dig a foundation of a house that was going to be about 5,500 square feet, so a very significant footprint. Well, back in these days, let me share with you, my dad had not invested in any mechanism, any mechanized digging foundation. We still did it the old-fashioned way. Anybody ever had a shovel? You know, like, you know, a shovel, right? All right, so we've got to dig this foundation by hand. It is July. It had not rained for six straight weeks. Average temperature was about 97, 98, about 90% humidity. And so the ground, which is this mixture of clay, and I mean like this gray gumbo-type mud and some red dirt that came out of Alabama, so you know it's lost and needs to be saved. And so, so you've got this mixture of stuff. Well, on the top, it looked like baked soil. So, so it was anything opposite of what you see on the left. Like this would be my yard. Well, no, add about 12,000 rocks to that picture. That would be my yard. And then you move over here. This was what we were dealing with. If you looked at it, it looked just like this picture right here on the bottom in the middle. Everything was cracked. I mean, it was just cracked and dry. If you stuck your shovel in it and you know, stomp on it, your ankle would snap. The bones come out both sides. I mean, there was no way you could get anything through there. Well, here was the only problem. We would take a pick. Now, some people call that a pickaxe. We just always call it a pick. You would take a pick, and you would plant it in that stuff, and it was not only hard on the top, it was hard in the middle, and it was hard at the bottom. Like, it just got harder the deeper you went. My uncle was a big old boy back in those days. He weighed about 250, 260. And he would take that pickaxe, and he would plant and bury that thing. And with all of his might, he would push, and he would turn up just enough dirt to hold in your hand. I mean, that's how hard this was. And we had to dig an entire footing that way, an entire foundation. And so, church, I want you to take this idea, this thought of something being hard, And when you go a little bit deeper in your journey, it's just as hard, if not harder. And then when you go a little bit deeper in your journey, it may be even harder still. I want you to think about that because that's exactly what's happening to the Apostle Paul. We've been journeying through the book of Acts, and we're talking... We're talking about this idea of of Paul going from place to place and sharing the gospel, but we've run into a little bit of a snag. You know, God sent him out, and he knows he's got God's blessing, but now that he's gone out, people are starting to act real nasty to him. And I mean, like, they've just ran him off of Iconium, now he's down in Lystra, and and today we're going to talk about how it goes from being bad to even worse, and maybe the worst that it could possibly be because we're going to talk about a a death, at least a very near-death experience for the Apostle Paul. But in the midst of all that, he makes a statement. Paul gives a statement, and the Bible says he's doing it to strengthen and encourage the believers. And here's virtually what he tells them. If you think it's bad now, just wait, it gets worse. I mean, can you imagine how encouraging that is? I mean, this is what he does. He goes back to strengthen and encourage them, and this is virtually what he says. If you think it's bad now, just hang on. It only gets worse. Because Paul teaches us something, church, from the lesson we're going to talk about today, and if you take pictures, feel free or take notes. This is something you need to get down. If you are a Christ follower, here is one promise of God I want you to commit to your heart. And it's not the exciting one. And it's not the fun one but it's a real one. If you are a follower of Jesus, you will have to endure hardships as long as you live on this earth, period. There's no way around it. 
There's no commanding it to leave you because it's not yours to command. He very well, just like he did his own son, after praying three times, have his son step back on his feet and go face what he had to face. And so this morning, this is not a downer and outer message, please hear me, because it closes with how we're supposed to be defined in the face of facing these trials. You see, we don't need to be a people who are defined by our trials. We need to be a people who are defined by what we do in the midst of our trials. And so there's a difference between those two things. And so today, what we want to do is focus on the fact we have to endure hardships, but focus more so on who we are becoming and how we should handle those things. And so we're going to be reading again in Acts 14. I'll be reading out of verse 19 in just a minute. But before we go there, let's pray as we focus on this idea of enduring hardships. Father, we love you and we praise you and we have already offered you worship in a service and in connection groups already. Now we've begun another service and we've offered you worship in song and in prayer. And I pray that right now you would remind us that this prayer, every prayer we voice today is an act of worship. Lord, it is worship when we pray to a God that we believe is real even though we can't see him or touch him. So, Father, it's an act of worship because we are exercising the gift of faith you have given us, and we are exercising that faith by asking you and addressing you and inviting you, encompassing you in everything that we do. So, Father, receive this worship as I speak it. For, Father, we come to you very worshipfully asking you for something because, again, what that demonstrates is, is that we are the ones who in need and you're the one who controls. And so, Father, we come asking you for a gift. We ask you what James tells us to ask for, which is wisdom. That, Father, when we read this text today, we will read it for what it was meant for, not to be a text of discouragement and not just a dose of reality. Father, this text about struggle is actually a text of encouragement because it shows us how to do it and teaches us how to strengthen one another. So give us your wisdom that, Father, when we leave this place today, we would be encouraged in spite of our difficulties, our troubles, and our trials that we have to endure. Answer this prayer, and Father, I already thank you in advance for it, because since we're praying Scripture, I know the answer is yes, so thank you. Thank you for the wisdom you're about to impart to us in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Read with me if you would. I'm going to be reading out of verse 19 again, out of Acts chapter 14. Some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and when they won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. Okay, so look at our map again up top left. Just a couple of things to point out and remind you of. They have left Iconium. That is where they got ran off the first time. Uh, in, in Antioch, Pisidian, they had a little bit of difficulty. Iconium, it got really nasty because now you've got Jews that have come from both cities, and those Jews who don't believe Jesus is Messiah, is, they're, they're now causing problems for Paul and Barnabas. Now they've come down to Lystra. Now, y'all remember how the story went last week? Lystra, they show up, and what happens immediately? They think they're gods. Uh, now, mythological gods on top of that, but they think they're gods. Remember, they looked at Barnabas and said, Oh, Zeus, king of the gods. And they looked at Paul because Paul never stops, right? So they look at Paul and go, oh, you must be Hermes. You're the messenger of the gods and you impart this wisdom and this authority to us. And so they start to worship them. What did Paul and Barnabas do? Nope, that's not who we are. They try to stop it. They tear their robes as this emotional display of this recognition they don't want to receive. And so they're getting that shut down. Now, now keep in mind, that's where we left off. Somehow between the verse of being worshipped as gods and the verse that starts us today, and there's no verses in between. So in one verse, somehow Luke goes from, here's the missionaries being worshipped to the missionaries being killed. 
Now, what he doesn't tell us, obviously, is there is a gap in between. Again, he's giving you the history, which is the highlight, the Cliff Notes version. <clears throat> so, obviously, what happened here was when Hermes and Zeus, which Paul and Barnabas, when Hermes and Zeus don't meet the physical needs of the people, they turn on them. Because, see, you, know, you do know that's what we do in the American culture, right? Like, when it doesn't work the way I want it to, I go to Amazon or eBay and something else happens. I mean, that's just what happens, right? We, we don't... We, it stops working the way I want it to, and so I get another one. Well, this is exactly what most people do with their gods. When their god stops performing the way they want their god to perform, let me go ahead and give you a little heads up. If you're a Christ follower, your god will never perform the way you want him to perform. That is not the way it operates. I advise you as your pastor not to exchange him for another because there's no greener grass outside of the gods you already have. And so what I want you to do is stick with him, even though it's going to be difficult. You're going to be tempted but you need to stick with him. So here's what happens. They stone him. And, and Steve Young and I, that's, that's, that's my buddy who's preached here as well as a member of our church. Steve and I have talked about this several times and I have with other friends. I, I do not believe that they simply stoned him. And I'm going to share with you the reasons for that in just a minute. Now, notice it, it says they thought he was dead. I think they thought he was dead because he was. And let me tell you why I think that he was. They stoned him. Uh, the word used for stoning there is the Greek word lithazo. Word-for-word word meaning of the Greek word lithazo, stoned to death. That, I didn't write it. Remember who is writing this text. What was his profession? He was a doctor. And as a doctor, he picked a Greek, Greek word inspired by the Holy Spirit. So, so Luke, the doctor, writes this text using a word inspired by the Holy Spirit that said they stoned Paul to death. It doesn't simply say they stoned him. The word used, now, if you think that's accidental, you can go ahead and think that way. I do not believe it was. I believe they picked the exact word that was supposed to be used because I believe Paul was literally stoned to death. Now, notice what happens. Here's another reason we think that. Verse 20, after the disciples gathered around him, which you do understand would have been dangerous, right? Uh, they just stoned this dude to death. If you go hang out by the body, that, that links you with it. And so that's pretty brave and bold at this point. So, so here's what Christians do. Christians during tough times stand by their brothers and sisters. This is a teaching point. Don't miss that. Put a little mark by it. We stand by. So after the disciples gathered around him, he got up and went into the town. Okay, so first of all, let me go ahead and dismiss the logic here. Um, they stone you to death. You get up, find the rocks around you, and go back for more. That is not what Justin would have done. I'm just telling you. He's going to go to Derby, but he waits a day. I'm like, why not leave right now? But no, he goes back. But here's the point I want you to see. The word got up is anistomy. Really important word here to understand what we think happened to Paul. Anistomy means caused to get up, raised to life. It is the exact same word used of Jesus in the tomb. Was Jesus fully dead? Yes. Did he faint, pass it? No, no, no. Jesus died. Why? Because to defeat death, what did he have to experience? Death. This is the exact same word used of Jesus in his resurrection moment. I am absolutely convinced, based on a medical doctor's report, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Greek words that are here, Paul was dead. He wasn't thought to be dead. Paul was deader than the rocks that were lying on top of him. 
He was out cold, and yet notice what has happened. God intervenes, and what happens to Paul? He gets back up, but he doesn't flee. What does Paul do? He goes back to his purpose and his role. Just because he has experienced what you and I would call humanly the most difficult challenge, because here's the deal. We know as a Christ follower, death is gained to me, but for the human body, what is death? It's the end. It's the greatest of all challenges because life leads it. It leaves it at that point physically. And so he has faced the ultimate in the human experience. He's faced the greatest challenge, yet in facing that challenge, when he is resurrected, he gets back up and goes back to work. Which means we never get to play the victim card. Let me say that one more time. It means that we as Christ followers never get to play the victim card. We go back to work. We fulfill our purpose. Because it doesn't get any harder than what we've just seen. It doesn't get any harder than praying sweat drops of blood. And what did he do when he finished praying? He got up and went back to work and fulfilled his purpose all the way to death. And so Paul gets up, and here's what they're going to do. It tells us they go to Derby. If you look at our map, uh, Lystra and Derby are separated by 60 miles. Remember, this is all on foot, so that's a very difficult journey, especially when you just died. So difficult journey. Uh, it's a little bit southeast, it's more east than it is south, and so they're going to Derby, and, 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 and off they go. All right, so then Luke kind of jumped story again. So we leave Paul, dead, alive, back inside the city, now gone to Derby, and now we're going to pick up with what happens, because what does he do? He goes back to work. I was sent on a missionary journey, I'm not done yet, and so he goes back to work. After they, this is Paul and Barnabas, had preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra. (laughs) Listen, I'm telling you, they should have hired a different travel agent. This is a really messed up route to get back home. Um, Been stoned, back inside, leave it, go back again. I'm I'm just telling you, you should have fired them and hired somebody else. This is not a really good plan. However, it's God's plan, and God's plan, you understand, is rarely easy. Let me go ahead and throw that out there. This is God's path, God's path rather it's, it's rarely ever easy. You do understand Jesus' voice that though, right? Straight and narrow is the road. You know what the word straight means in Greek? Difficult, hard. It's flip cease. It means difficult, anxiety, anguish. So, so they're going back through the hard route because that's what we as Christ followers do. We go back through the hard route because that's what God carries us through. But I want you to notice something here. It says they made many disciples. I don't want you to ever misunderstand what that means. That is the word in Greek, mevetevo. Mevetevo means to instruct or to teach. Go back to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, the Great Commission, which all Christians know. and We memorized in VBS like 8,000 times with John 3.16. But what was the command in the Great Commission? Make disciples. You know what word was used in the Gospel of Matthew? Mathetevo. You know what word is used right here? Mathetevo. What does it mean to make disciples? Jesus gives us the answer. Instruct them. Mathetevo. Instruct them. Teach them the things I taught you. Where do we find the things Jesus taught? This book. How do we teach it? Well, sometimes we teach it just like I'm doing right now. So see, right now I'm making disciples because I'm madotaving you. That's not an actual word, so just throw that out. So, so madotavo is taking place. I'm instructing you on the very teachings of Jesus. But I also do that like when I speak to one of my own children who I have raised in the Lord, and the Lord has been gracious and saved them, and they're disrespectful in their tone to their mom, and I say, don't speak to your mom that way. You do understand that's, that's making disciples. Because what am I teaching? I am teaching the scriptural principle that you're to honor father and mother. 
Did I get the Bible out and, and present a whole expositional sermon on how you're not supposed to disrespect? Your, no, no, I gave one single command. Don't talk to your mom that way. Why? Because that's what head of households are supposed to do is lead their, sp- their family to become disciples, followers of Jesus. So here's what I don't want you to be confused in. It doesn't say in here that they saved anybody. Why? Because Paul and Barnabas never saved a soul. Not one. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 that faith to believe is a gift. Only God's Holy Spirit gives that gift of faith. And so then God is the only one who is responsible for salvation. Man has never led another man to the Lord. I may have been there when God did all the leading. I may have been instructing in the words of Jesus, but you have no control over the outcome or how people respond. The only thing you control is to make sure you tell them about the Lord. And it may be a Bible lesson or it may be a life lesson. Let me tell you how I got through my tough time. No, I don't understand exactly what your tough time is because we are wired differently. So how you're responding to your time may not be how I responded to mine, but let me tell you how the Lord got me through mine. Y'all, that's teaching the words of Jesus. That is how we instruct people in the words of Jesus. So this is all Paul and Barnabas did. They made disciples by instructing God did all the saving. And so you've obviously got some people coming to the faith. Notice what else they did, and this is where your job comes in as well. So you're to instruct in the midst of your trial. Remember, the context of this is hard times. So you're to continue to instruct in the teachings of Jesus in your hard time, but you're also to do this for other Christ followers. Notice verse 22. Strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them. And if you circle, highlight, underline, here's our central theme to our text. It is necessary. The word necessary is the Greek word D. D-E-I. It's pronounced D. It means must. It is a must. Okay, so, so whatever he says next, it is a must for you. It's a must for me. It is a must to go through how many hardships? Many hardships. It is a must to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Okay, so so the kingdom of God begins for you the minute you become a Christ follower, but you know that's not where it ends, correct? Where does it end? It ends in this place called heaven. So for you to go to heaven, if I were to ask you, see, here's the way you get every every Baptist in a church to raise their hand. How many of you want to go to heaven when you die? Ain't nobody going to hold their hand down. To get to heaven, you know what has to happen? You got to suffer. Not my words. If you're angry, take it up with the author. Let me, let me go ahead and tell you, he ain't listening. Not to that. He cut off his gripe button years ago. To enter heaven, you have to go through what? Many hardships. So the moment you hear any teaching that teaches something contrary to this, that you command this and you command that, and the Lord's going to make it easy, throw that garbage away. That is not biblical. Here's biblical truth. But don't get confused. Notice the context of this biblical truth. The biblical truth was shared in the context of encouragement and strength. Did did y'all catch that first? What trumps the difficulty? The encouragement and the strength in the midst of the difficulty because it says he did so to encourage and strengthen them. The word, this is the one I want you to get. The word strengthen is the word episterizo. You don't have to get that part down, but but I want you to understand the meaning. It's the word that we would use for brace up or shore up. Y'all remember the little windstorm we had here about a week ago? 
like 60, 70 mile per hour straight line, straight line winds. I don't think there was any twisting in it. I think it's just straight. Um, our, our crew, like Larry, Ray, and those great folks that put up our nativity had just put our nativity scene up the day before. I come in the next morning, and it looks like the Titanic, dude. It's got a list like this right here, man. However, it was worse. I had to drive out of town. Did everybody see the little shop that Tanco was building up there? They had just framed that rascal up. I go through the next morning, it's nothing but matchsticks all piled up at one end. I mean, that wind smoked it. Has anybody seen it now? Have you noticed anything different? There is more bracing on the front of that thing than you'll find if the Empire State Building was being rebuilt. I mean, it, you know why? Because they're like, hey, you know what? We need to brace that thing up. That's this word. Do you know that your role as a Christ follower is twofold? Tell people about Jesus. Now, again, that may be a Bible lesson. It may be talking to your kids, your spouse, a coworker, just about how the Lord is real in your life and how he's been very manifest in your life. But secondly, did you know your job is to epistorizo others? You're to be their brace when they're going through their struggle. You're to be, you're to be their brace when they're going through their struggle. It may be the brace of just words. It may be the brace of financial support. It may be the brace of visiting when they're laid up in the hospital. It may be the support, the brace of taking them some food when they're going through a time of mourning. It may be the brace of sitting with them in the rocking chair for an hour and not saying a word. I shared that with you, one of my senior adult ladies. A church I previously pastored had just found out that her oldest son died while on a missionary trip medically serving people. The vehicles that he was in, the brakes went out, went off the side of a mountain. Her son lost, lost her son. I sat with her, and literally, I sat with her for about one hour, sitting in rocking chairs side by side, and I held her hand and never spoke a word. Because I didn't know what to say. How do I point out to her anything from my simple, feeble mind that's going to bring her comfort? You know what brought her comfort? I was filling the rocking chair her son would sit in when he would come and visit. And so I just sat there. I never did get down the rocking motion to match hers. I could, our paces were different. But, but you know what? She never once complained. After about an hour, she looked at me. She said, you ready for coffee? Yes, ma'am. And that was it. That was the strengthening because you know what word follows strengthening in the Greek text? We don't even say it in the English. It's psyche. It's the word for mind. I strengthened her mind. I was the brace for her mind. I gave her support just by sitting there. I, was, I, didn't, I, I didn't know that's what I was doing. I now realize looking backwards that's what I did. I, I provided her a brace without saying a word. Y'all, y'all I get paid to talk. And some of the best ministry I've ever done is not saying a word. Because I was a brace. And that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be a brace. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, this is verse 23, and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Uh, This gives us an idea about how leadership takes place in churches. Remember, these were the planting church pastors. When they came back, because they were the lead pastors, they appointed the other leaders 
Y'all, we practice something very similar here. I worked with the personnel committee. Uh, Max Lytle was the chairman when I took over here, senior pastor. Max and I have been a part of bringing other staff members on. Sam Crockett's another one of those guys. Jerry Graffenry. They've been a part of us bringing other people on. That's the natural process, actually. You've got the planning or the senior pastors that then appoint some other leadership to come around and help with that process. And so that's what we see all throughout the New Testament is this appointment of elders by going out leaders or leaders that are at a distance. Verse 24, they passed through Pisidia. That's Pisidia, Antioch. They came to Pamphylia afterwards. They spoke the word at Perga, and they went down to Italia. From there, they sailed back to Antioch. So here's the part I don't want you to miss. They kept working. Y'all do know it. what Luke doesn't write down was how hard it was for them in those other places. He, he doesn't take up space for that. He wants you to understand it was hard, and it was harder, and it was harder, and it was harder, and they kept doing it. We do not quit. We don't play the victim card. We keep fulfilling our purpose. We have to continue to carry our cross. This is what Christ told us. After they arrived and gathered the church together, they reported everything God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles and they spent a considerable time with the disciples. Hey, another teaching lesson right there, and it doesn't sound like much, but it's actually very big. You know why they spent much time with the disciples? Y'all, they had been beat to death. I'm not kidding. They, they were worn out. They were exhausted. You know what this teaches us? The same thing Jesus taught us. There were times when thousands were gathered, and what did Jesus say to his followers? I'm going up in the mountain to pray. What? I mean, you know, they're, they're like stressed out. Dude, Lord, uh, I see you. I'm going up in the mountain to pray. Why? Because he had to be renewed and refreshed. Paul and Barnabas had to take a break. That's why it says they spent much time. You know what they're doing? This is a medical doctor writing this. They're recuperating. Sometimes, please hear me, look up here. Sometimes you're the one that needs the brace. You need to be a brace. But sometimes you need the brace. They needed the brace. Guys, they'd been, they had been beaten to a pulp. They were exhausted. They had stayed faithful in their service to the Lord. The disciples and the church provided them a brace. So, so here's what I want you to understand. Stay in your battle. Be a warrior for the Lord. But sometimes even the warrior has to put down the armor and take a break. And when you do, have somebody with you that strengthens you. Have people come alongside you and be okay when they do that. See, for men in particular, this is very difficult. We're way too prideful, which is a sin issue in itself. I don't have time to address that one. But we're way too prideful to ask for help. But many times need that brace. And, and, and so that brace comes in many forms. I don't want you to lose this. I'm going somewhere with this. Sometimes that brace comes in many forms. For me this morning, three different people texted me. I've had no dialogue with them that would have caused the text. Not, not any of the three. Three different people, two of which have nothing to do with this church as far as membership or attendance. All three saying the same thing. Appreciate what you do. Just want to encourage you. Preach the word. That's it. It wasn't a, it wasn't a pep rally. It wasn't, hey, look at this great thing that I've read. It's theologically deep. You're not thinking of anything else. So read this. No, it was... Hey, brother, you crossed my mind this morning, praying for you. Just want to encourage you, preach the word today. Appreciate what you do. But this is, this is that, that brace that gives you that support. 
They may not have known that's what they were doing, but that's exactly what they were doing, which is exactly what we see in this text. But, but see, here's the problem. Many, many people are defined by their circumstances, not by what they do in the middle of it. See, again, Paul and Barnabas are defined by what they did with their circumstance. Many people are defined by what their circumstance is doing to them. Let me give you an example. One of my favorites. Hee-haw! Saturday night in Mississippi at 6 p.m., followed by Love Boat and Fantasy Island. That was Saturday night in my world, so, you know, that's what I knew. Hee-haw. Y'all recognize my friends on the right. Y'all remember these guys, right? Yeah, and if I had you start singing it, I wouldn't even have to finish it. Shad wouldn't have to lead it. Grant wouldn't have to beat the drums for us. You could just sing it on your own. Y'all know the words by heart, right? More so than Amazing Grace. No kidding, I guarantee it. Because there's seven verses to Amazing Grace, if y'all don't know. We've only sung four in the Baptist church. Y'all don't even know three of them. But y'all know this one word for word, right? Let me prove it. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. And somebody goes, oh, right? Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for what? That I'd have no luck at all. And in and, and Hebrew and Greek, if you repeat something, it's for emphasis sake. So what's repeated? Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Why? Because many people are defined by their troubles. Many people are controlled by their troubles. Paul and Barnabas absolutely said no. Jesus Christ, sweating drops of blood as he prayed, stood up and said, I will not shirk this. Paul, how many times did Paul ask God to take the thorn out of his flesh? Three times. It's the number of certainty. But when God said, no, Paul, this will keep you, prevent you from becoming arrogant in your self-efficiency and self-reliance. This will keep you dependent upon me. My grace is sufficient. Paul quit and walked away, didn't he? No, no, no. Paul got up and said, let's get to work. Had Paul known he was going to be stoned to death, he might have said, well, let me think through this for a minute. But no, 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 Paul got up and he went to work because Paul was not defined by his circumstance. Paul kept creating defining moments within his circumstance. And church, that's your challenge. You need to create some defining moments. Because everybody in here has their struggle. Everybody in here is going through their trial. There's not a person in here, if you're a Christ follower, that's immune from this or protected from this. You're protected in it, but not protected from it. There's a big difference there. You are provided in it, not necessarily provided with being removed from it. And so we need to create some defining moments of who we are in the character of the God that is with us in the midst of the struggle. Not just the victories. The struggle is when people watch us. They expect you to follow Jesus when your life is easy. What they're waiting to see is if you will stick with Jesus when your life is hard. That's the test. So here's some things I want you to think through. Number one, trouble will follow us. I grew up on the farm. Um, Two things we can never keep contained. Hogs and cows. In case y'all don't know, hogs are very intelligent. They got out because they knew they were going to be bacon, so they would escape. They're very smart. 
Cows are not as smart. Why would cows get out? Because three feet in front of them on the other side of the barbed wire is what? If you turned around and moved three feet the other direction, you do understand the exact same grass was well within their reach. But they can only look what direction? Grass, grass, got to have grass. And for some reason, it was worth them going through the barbed wire, cutting themselves up to get to a tasty morsel, only to have them, this happened multiple times, only to have them break back in. So let me give you this encouragement. I don't know what your struggle is. I don't know what your journey is leading you into. There is no greener grass. If you feel like you can run away from your issue and run away from your problem, please hear me. Only another one will find you. Only another one will find you. There is no escaping the hardship. So, so running is futile. You have to stand in the authority and the power of Jesus. You do like Paul did. You get back up off the heat, beaten and weary and exhausted, and you walk back in. There is no quitting. Do the warriors take a break? Yes, but there's no quitting. No quitting. Number two, God will intervene. I should have capitalized this. I messed, I messed up in my moment of display. Will should have been all caps. W-I-L-L, all caps, like to get your attention. God will intervene for you. Hear me. He will intervene for you. Will he remove it? Not necessarily. Can he? Yep. But just like with Job, he may, to choose, he may just choose to leave you right in the middle of it. Just like with Paul, he may choose to leave that thorn right there. Just like with Jesus, he said, no, son, the cross is the only way. But he will intervene for you. He will grant you peace when there should be nothing but chaos. Yeah, let's do this. How many people in this room have had a setting or a situation in your life where it should have just been filled with fear and anxiousness, and worry, and chaos, and yet in the midst of it, you had absolute peace. Anybody ever have? Yeah. That's part, of the, that's part of the Christian journey. That is him intervening for you, of giving you confidence, even though the struggle is real, of giving you strength to get out of bed when you don't want to get out of bed. Just talking with a friend this morning, and gosh, shingles has just been wearing my friend out, and just... I don't think I can bear it anymore, and yet, at church today. But God deserves my worship in spite of my pain. Amen. That's what we mean. He will intervene. It may not be in removal, but it's in blessing in the midst of. Number three, remain focused on our purpose and our role. Paul got up off the death heap, goes back to teaching. Your role may not be as a preacher. Your role may not be as a missionary, but your role is to be a pleaser of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, right? Whether in the body or away from this body, we make it our goal, our aim, our target to do what? To please Christ. 
if anybody ever asks you, what is your purpose as a lover of Jesus? Please, Jesus. It is that theologically deep. Please, Jesus. How do we please Jesus? Well, there's a whole book about that. I live morally according to this code. Some people call it the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. It is actually the very reflection of God's moral nature. I live according to that. And then I see how Jesus lived that out by caring for those who needed help, by being a brace for those who need to be braced up and supported. That's what we do. Number four, we encourage and strengthen others. If you don't get anything else today, the word strengthen, episterizo. Don't worry about spelling it. Just remember it. Episterizo. I want you to brace up somebody today. I want you to be the one who sends the text, the email, the phone call, the pat on the back, the handshake, the hug, the prayer that they don't even know about. I want you to be the one who braces up somebody today. Episterizo. Brace up. Why? So it doesn't fall. So it doesn't collapse. Brace up. Number five, and this is intentional. Man, don't play the victim card. You just don't know what I've been through. It's harder for me than it's ever been for anybody else I know. Don't, don't play the victim card. And here's why. There's always somebody who's got it harder, and his name is Jesus. There's always somebody who's got it harder, who's had it harder than anybody else, and his name is Jesus. If you want to read Paul's resume, that's pretty impressive too. Yours would be hard-pressed to match Paul's. It was pretty brutal. Pretty brutal. Peter was crucified upside down. James had his head lopped off, like literally, hit <laughs> gone. All of them died in some form. Polycarp was burned at the stake. He was a first century church leader. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in a Nazi prison camp was stripped of all of his clothing and then hung by piano wire because he chose to die for a rabbi in the prison camp. Somebody's got it harder. Refuse to be a victim. The Bible says you are a conqueror. You know what that word literally means in Greek? A warrior. You are a warrior. You know how long warriors fight? Till the death. Till the death. This is no thing of false bravado. This is not trying to say you're something that you're not. I'm telling you what you are in Christ Jesus in the fight against sin, in the fight against Satan, in the fight to encourage other believers. You are a warrior. Warriors fight till when? To the death. If you're sitting up and you're breathing, you're still in the fight, here's my encouragement. Get in it. Get in it. That is what we're called to do. So this morning, before I have you stand, two things I want you to process. If you're a Christ follower in this room, if you are a Christ follower, that means you've got a trouble. You've got a struggle. You've got something that's burdening you. I want you to trust him enough today that you can take it to him. Here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. I want you to ask him two things. Lord, Take this off me. No, I'm, I'm serious. I, I want you to. I want you to ask the Lord today to take whatever this struggle is, this burden, this trial, I want you to ask him to remove it. Secondly, I want you to ask him, if it is not your will, today give me the strength to get through it. Don't worry about tomorrow. That's what Scripture says. Don't worry about tomorrow. I'm telling you, you ask him to take it from you today. If that is not what he chooses, and you be in agreement with whatever he chooses, you ask him today to give you strength to stay in this fight.
That's what I'm going to ask you to ask the Lord here in just a minute. And you, you can stand where you are when we do this. You can come down this morning. Several people came and just wanted to, to pray at the altar because that was their, their private moment. You can come with somebody if you choose to. That's completely up to you. But I want you to ask those two things. Take this. If not, strengthen me in it. I, I want to be a warrior today. However, here's what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned that listening to my voice right now might be somebody, if they were absolutely honest, would look at me and say, I've never felt like I've known God enough to ask him to take anything from me. In fact, I have so not lived for him, how dare I? How dare I, in all fairness, expect God to do something for me when I've never done anything for him? That is how the world would normally view this. And, and please hear me, I'm not telling you you're incorrect. Here's the problem. That is not how God views it. God views it from a position of grace. Here's how God views it. I've already done it for you. His name was Jesus. He died on a cross. I raised him from the dead. And if you will choose to follow him, you instantly have this relationship with me. And you go, well, I don't know how to do that. Great. I've got an answer for you. We've got a group of people that have literally trained for this moment. No kidding. Pastor Jeff got a material we agreed upon, and he, he's set with a group of people, and they've looked through that material, and all this material is is this. It doesn't require you to sign it, say a prayer. It doesn't ask you to make any commitment. It just simply explains from the Bible how you enter into this relationship with Christ so that when you face your moment, you've got Christ doing this with you. That's all this material is. However, we can't share it with you and all the training they've received if you don't let them know. Here's how we do that. I'm going to have you stand in a moment. Folks are going to bow their heads, and some may come to this altar and pray, asking God those two questions I told them to ask. While that's going on, if, if you're interested in knowing how to enter into this faith-based relationship with Jesus, walk straight over here to my left where it says exit. Here's why. Part of that prayer response team, somebody's going to be there to greet you and they want to carry you to a more private setting so they can sit down with you undistracted and say, hey, if this is what you're interested in, let me tell you how to become a follower of Jesus, how to have him with you in the midst of your struggle because your struggles are real. Jesus is real. He wants to be real with you. That's what I would ask you to do. And even if you're not comfortable while we're praying, you can even do it after the service is over. They'll hang around for a few minutes. So if you're not comfortable walking when everybody else is praying, that's fine. But make your way over there before you leave here today. They'll be willing to sit down. So here's what I want you to do. You're going to stand with me, number one. Number two, you start praying to the Lord. Take this or strengthen me in it. Stand with me, and this is your time to start dialing.